Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 1343, air date October 30th, 2023. private individuals. And so the Fed um, is in a collusion with the large banks of the world, be it Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley, et cetera. And the incentive there is not to balance the budget. The incentive there is to print money at will. So the Fed prints money that goes to their banking friends. And many of the guys who are at the banking side actually serve at the Fed and the Treasury. So we have actually collusion that takes place. And given most presidents, most Congress people really don't understand how finances work. Many of them have frankly never had to run a budget or probably um, pay employees, et cetera. So they print money as, as they need. Um, and that printing of money is what's got the United States into the current situation. And the printing of money now is backed up by theory. There's a lot of academics who promote the theory called modern monetary theory, MMT. And what MMT says is print as much money as you want. Don't worry about it. Just control inflation. And so as a result of that, um, if you go back in recent times, 2008, uh, when all the banks collapsed, as we know, because they were um, incentivized to give loans to people who, frankly, should never have gotten loans. And when the banks collapsed and they were making a lot of money giving these loans, um, when the banks collapsed, there was no judgment upon them, meaning they didn't collapse. Um, Obama printed close to a little bit more than $8 trillion, um, a la the Fed, you know, approved through Congress to save all these guys. And all these guys are one um, uh, person of the swarm, as I call it, protecting another person. Trump came in and he did the same thing. They created a crisis called the quote unquote pandemic. The economy was once again failing. Uh, you know, eight years later, and they printed more money. Trump printed $8 trillion in one term. And now um, most people know that the economy is running on fumes. And instead of addressing the fundamental issues, they attempted to create a war in Ukraine to cover that up. They attempted to do another pandemic. So what they've now created is this situation in Gaza, which um, is going to, quote unquote, rationalize their justification to print more money. So the fundamental issue is that most people in Congress do not understand why you should balance a budget. And the incentive is to um, print money at, at will. And this is what needs to be stopped. And one of the fundamental ways to stop this is you have to eliminate the Fed. The Federal Reserve, there's no need for its existence. 
We also have to recognize that the collusion between the Federal Reserve, the Treasury, and the bankers, um, there's a significant amount of corruption. Some people should be prosecuted and indicted for this. Do you believe that America is a great country? Well, look, I'm an immigrant and my parents came here. Um, I came here when I was seven years old. And when I got off the airplane, I was seven. And my, I'd, I'd asked my dad why we came here. And he said, for one simple reason, he used one word, freedom. So freedom uh, to put ideas forward, freedom to innovate. Um, the freedom to have your ideas debated in public is what makes this country great. Now, unfortunately, on November 16, 2018, it was Donald Trump with the support of both wings of Congress that unanimously voted for something called the Cybersecurity Information Security Act, which essentially destroyed the First Amendment, at least on online media. So we have a significant problem in the United States because the social media companies um, are controlled by government. And this is not something theory for me. You're looking at a victim of that, because when I ran for Senate in the United States, where we won the election uh, in September of 2020, it was a government of the United States, a government of Massachusetts, which contacted social media companies using this portal that was created out of that Cybersecurity Information Security Act, which allowed them to throw me off Twitter because I was exposing the fact that the government had deleted ballot images, which is a violation of 52 USC 20701. So we have no real freedom of speech on social media anymore. Four major companies control it, and they're uh, and those companies are controlled by government. So the first thing I would do as president would be to uh, repeal the Cybersecurity Information Security Act. But that's what made America great, you know, this uh, freedom. But it was Trump who talked about make America great, who signed into law the abridging of uh, the destruction of the First Amendment. The First Amendment passed in 1781, says Congress shall pass no law to bridge freedom of speech. And that's exactly what Congress did. And it was Trump who signed that into law. Now, in my view, had Hillary done that, there would have been a revolution in this country. So the elites, the swarm, as I call it, put Trump into power um, so they could execute something so egregious as this, which destroys the First Amendment. So yes, America is a great country. However, we have um, the Zionists, in my view, and the swarm, which has hijacked America. And their goal is to destroy the American working class, which is a bulwark of the American um, dream. And that's what they're doing systematically, particularly starting in 1970. And either every obvious version of, uh, you know, quote unquote, misleader of the establishment, or the not so obvious misleaders have been doing this in collusion with the swarm to essentially destroy. Uh, um, everything that America stood for and the and the destruction of the First Amendment with the passage of that act is one of the uh, reflects that. So you kind of went into uh, my uh, third question is, uh, which is, what is your position on the First Amendment free speech? Well, I don't just have a position. You're looking at someone who is probably the number one fighter for free speech in modern times. You know, it was in September of 2020, uh, during my United States Senate race, and I was running as a Republican at the time in Massachusetts, that I found out my election was stolen. But more importantly, I found out that the ballot images, which are on paper ballots, the paper ballot when you put it to a machine is scanned and an image is made. 
those images, according to a federal law, need to be maintained for 22 months. So when I requested those images and I tweeted out that, and the, and the government of Massachusetts said they deleted those images. In fact, they didn't preserve them. So when I tweeted this fact out that over a million ballot images were deleted, I was thrown off Twitter. Uh, one of the news Reuters reported that the government contacted Twitter to throw me off for spreading quote unquote misinformation. When in fact they've documented, they deleted those ballot images. That resulted in a historic lawsuit where I represented myself against three lawyers against the government and I won, I won a federal injunction. And what's unfortunate is none of the so-called grifters from this guy, Tucker Carlson, Glenn Greenwald, ACLU, intentionally concealed that lawsuit because I wasn't part of the left or the right. And uh, that lawsuit is the one that exposed the fact that government, starting in 2018, established a backdoor portal to all social media companies to um, essentially uh, throw off those people that were exposing government. This is the fun foundations of, of uh, the First Amendment. Political speech is the highest protected form. I was the one who filed a lawsuit. No lawyer in Massachusetts wanted to take this on. And we discovered that government indeed has this portal. When I was put back on, when I once again exposed these facts through documentary evidence, I was thrown off permanently. That led into a larger lawsuit where I discovered all of the documents that was created between the Democrats and Republicans, left and right, in collusion with ac academics, in collusion with the Pentagon in collusion with uh, the cyber, you know, SIS and DHS to basically track, blacklist, and um, monitor and surveil U.S. citizens. That became a significant lawsuit. The judge was so impressed with my findings, he thought I would be fine just going back on Twitter, but he wanted me to drop all claims against the government. I refused. And that has now become the basis of a new lawsuit against DHS and SISA. So you're looking at someone who's actually fought for the First Amendment in 2020. And what you've seen since then with the quote unquote Twitter files, and by the way, Elon Musk is not a free speech absolutist. He works for the government where Elon Musk ends and government begins, nobody knows. So what's happened right now is conservatives are bamboozled into thinking that everything's fine on platforms like Twitter, but it isn't. The government still has a backdoor censorship portal into all social media companies and all the owners of these social media companies are essentially government agents. So the first thing I would do is repeal this cybersecurity information security act if we want freedom of speech anymore particularly online so our campaign um you know believes that the future is offline door to door talking to people because online media is completely controlled end to end what is your position on the second amendment well my position on the second amendment is simple i think k through 12 we should actually give weapons training to children um, to learn how how to use weapons um, to actually understand the importance of the Second Amendment. And this should continue all the way, you know, particularly during the public school education. Um, the reason is that what makes America actually great, not by just a slogan, is particularly the Bill of Rights, but particularly the First and Second Amendments. Uh, no other population on the planet was afforded the freedom of speech, which was supported by the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment wasn't created so you could go hunting pheasant. The Second Amendment was created, you know, as reflected in the Declaration of Independence. So a citizenry, if it feels that the government has become destructive, has a right to alter it and abolish it. And the foundations of the Second Amendment, uh, the spirit of it was that we would not have standing armies, that we would not have militias. 
but people, you know, would be armed and they could defend themselves against their own government. So I'm a big proponent of the Second Amendment. 3% of the world's population, which is the American people, you know, three out of around 8 billion people are the only people that have it. It makes the American working class really the tip of the spear of the global movement for freedom. So, um, and I have a very different opinion on the left and the right on this issue of gun violence. And I, as a system scientist, as an engineer, as an MIT PhD who studies these things from a system standpoint, the left argues that it's guns that kill people. And the right argues, well, it's for our hunting, or they say, you know, it's drugs or it's video games. Neither are right. What what is revealed that neither wing of the establishment wants to talk about it, that it is income inequality. And there's a substantial amount of very, very fundamental research which shows that income inequality is a fundamental, uh, you know, reason for gun violence. If you look at the United States, the United States has the highest income inequality and the highest amount of uh, gun violence. If you look at every state in the United States and you do apply the same Gini score, J-I-N-I, which maps income inequality and you draw that on the x-axis and the y-axis, you draw gun violence, you get a very interesting curve, you know, a line that goes up, more income inequality, more gun violence. And neither the left or the right want to address this because the left talks about working people, talks about uh, helping people, but they're actually part of the swarm. And the right wing doesn't want to discuss this because they make money off exploiting labor. So if we want to uh, ensure that the Second Amendment survives and is not compromised, um, we have to address income inequality. What is your belief on big government? Well, the fundamental question is, what do I believe on centralization versus decentralization of power? In, in my view, uh, when you take, again, an engineering systems approach, um, and, and this approach is how... Um, you know, a plumber, an electrician, et cetera, looks at the world, right? And when you take that approach, what it leads to is that um, not only is small better, but it is, um, it was, in my view, the purpose of the founders of this country to put responsibility at the individual level. And government's function was supposed to be very, very limited. And that's what the purpose of the constitution was to limit government's rule of people. Um, perhaps to protecting the border, right? Uh, some level of infrastructure, that's about it. Um, but the idea, the spirit of this was that the individual, at the individual level, at the local level, would take responsibility. So I'm a big believer to be more accurate, not only in small government, but decentralization to local levels and particularly making the individual accountable. So as a part of this, if you look at every one of my policies on healthcare, uh, people come to our town hall, which we do every Thursdays, at 11 a.m. and 8 p.m. when we take health care, what do we say? We say, look, the government is not going to do anything on health care except make it bigger and bigger and bigger and more expensive. The corruption sets in. Ultimately, the individual has to take responsibility for their own health. One of the most powerful ways to take care of your own health is to boost your immune system. Um, you know, and you're talking to someone uh, as a scientist, have a PhD at MIT, out of MIT in biological engineering, one of the leading scientists on the immune system. The immune system and aging are very closely related. So individuals should learn and fight for the protection of their immune systems at the local level. Well, that's going to lead to taking care of what food you put into your body, ensuring that you have real health care at the local level, a one-on-one -on -one relationship with your doctor, not big health care and so on. Um, you look at the environment. Ultimately, we have to support our local farmers. You look at education. It is 
the students learning how to think, not what to think. And we can go on, you know, on innovation. Great innovation actually occurs outside of the fringes uh, of, you know, outside and the edges beyond Silicon Valley, beyond, beyond big companies. And I know this because I created email, the system as we know it as a 14-year-old kid working in Newark, New Jersey. Email was created not at the big institutions, not by the government, not by the military industrial complex, but me, a 14-year-old kid solving a civilian problem, uh, helping secretaries go from the inner office mail system to what we now know as email, which is what I created, named it email, and I have the first U.S. copyright. So when you look at every issue, economy, education, things occur at the edges when people take responsibility. Government um, ultimately ends up colluding with big corporations, and you create monopolies, which actually destroy innovation, destroy education, destroy health, destroy the economy, destroy pretty much everything. So decentralization is a goal. And the foundation of everything I've done, and I've taught this to people, is a systems approach. One of the foundations of system science is decentralization and the concept of self-organizing systems. And I'll play a video shortly that people can understand more about that. The Tenth Amendment states, the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. Should the U.S. enforce its borders? Well, um, first of all, um, you know, this is, again, every one of the questions you're asking is not theory. You know, I came here as a legal immigrant, and I think you did also, Marcel. Um, we had, you know, my father came here first. He was an engineer, and he got a, a job. Um, leaving India. And we had to wait about a year. We didn't see our father for a year. We had to wait in line. We just, you know, in those days, you had to submit your uh, your credentials, your resume, all sorts of stuff. And that was a price, you know, my uh, mom, my sister, and I paid because we didn't see our dad for a year. Um, but you waited in line, you came in as legal immigrants. So first of all, um, we have to recognize that neither the Democrats nor the Republicans the establishment parties or quote unquote fake independents have any interest in addressing uh, immigration because they profit from it. One wing profits from a voting block, another wing profits from cheap labor. So there is a way to address this. And here's my solution. Number one, um, although there's about potentially, if you look at the numbers around 20 million um, potential legal immigrants in the United States, illegal immigrants, and uh, I would argue a whole set of them are probably working very hard. Um, we have to understand that they came from countries um, where they had to flee because of U.S. policy supporting dictators in these countries. And the United States has to recognize that the chickens have come home to roost from these very, very imperial policies. But nonetheless, you have the realities. You have people here who made it here. And many of them are working. Many of them work very, very hard. I would say for those people who work hard, give them a path to citizenship over 10 years, but they must pay taxes. And that would generate about probably one to $2 trillion, depending on how you cut it, which adds significantly to the budget. Anyone who's obviously a criminal and has done crime, harsh crimes, they should be sent out. But in addition to that, and I've talked about this since 2017, 18, and others have actually stolen this concept, is there are American citizens who are rigging the system. 
they are able-bodied working people and they're collecting money uh, from tax dollars and they're fully capable of working. And I think those people should also be read out, uh, read out the Riot Act. You give them 24 months maximum to get off their butts and go to work. Or you say, look, you're going to lose your citizenship too. So citizenship should be recognized. Service is citizenship. Do you serve this country? Um, what do you stand for? Are you actually contributing? If you're leeching off this country in any way, you know, it doesn't mean you get a citizenship for life. So I think we need to look at citizenship now in a much more deeper way of who is actually serving this country. Do you agree with this statement? Without border enforcement, immigrants can cross at will, bypass our quotas and vetting system, basically skip the line of people trying to get into this country by following our regulations. Yes, of course. I don't know if you want me to add anything more to that, but obviously, you know, we came in as legal immigrants. Let me, um, I don't know if this is a good, if you have another, that was the sixth question, right, Marcel? Yes, sir. So I'd like to play a quick video because I know we're going to end with education, but everything I've answered so far is based not on our left or right view, Marcel. Um, it's based on a view of looking at a problem and taking a systems approach to understand these problems. Um, and systems approach is what engineers have to do, what plumbers have to do, what electricians have to do, politicians, lawyers do not need to take a systems approach. They essentially take an approach based on who's funding them. And I want to share this video because, um, and obviously if you want to keep it, you can, if you don't want to keep it, um, I think you need to give me rights, Marcel, to share. Sure. Um, I believe I did. Okay. It says, uh, you have to, um, essentially make me a host. Or a co-host. Uh, There's three dots to my picture, but if you right. click on that, yeah. Make host. I I I gotta I gotta make you host here. Okay, and I'll then I'll remake you. I'll give back back to you. Okay, great. So I want to play this video because um, I think it's rare, Marcel, that the United States has had someone um, who's not beholden to anyone, <clears throat> you know, who's um, <clears throat> not beholden to the Israeli lobby, not beholden to the left wing or the right wing, um, but actually uh, is a true American. Um, but one of the things I want to do for America is to educate people on a systems approach to thinking. And when we talk about education, I'll do, but I think this is a good time. I just want to grab some water to, to um, uh, let your audience understand what this means. And if people go to um, this site, you know, one of the educational programs I've created is called Truth Freedom Health. There's a very nice video here. Let me play it. That'll give people an idea of what this is about. We have allowed our country to be taken over from within. Can you hear it, Marcel? end goal yes, sir. is you will have a homogenized world where we will become slaves because there is a condition among the elites that really thinks they're better than you, deep down inside them, that you don't deserve the freedoms you have. 
they don't. This reality is what people need to wake up to. And we need to all unite working people. There's only one movement that can do that. And that is the movement that we started creating here in Massachusetts, the movement for truth, freedom, and health. Look, I've been a student of politics since I was a four-year-old kid, studying revolutionary movements, left-wing, right-wing. There is a physics, there's a nuclear science to destroying the establishment. To build a bridge, you need to understand Newton's equation. You need to understand the laws of gravity. You need to understand Poisson's ratio. There is a way to build a revolution. And that's why I put this together. My goal is to train a army of truth, freedom, and health leaders. We don't need followers like social media. We need leaders, but they need training because the educational system does not teach them history, nothing. So in three hours is what I've started doing. That's the solution. We got to train people first with understanding what a system is, the dynamics of all systems that affect nature. The second is understanding the interconnection between truth, freedom, and health. Freedom is the ability to move freely, communicate freely, talk freely. Without freedom, you cannot convert ideas hypothesis into truth, which is science. And without freedom, you can't really get to truth. And without truth, you make up fake problems, and fake solutions, which means you destroy our health. And without health, which is the infrastructure of us and our body, you can't fight for freedom, truth, freedom, health. Third concept is it has to be bottoms up, working people, people who work uniting. And what the right wing has done is whenever you say working people unite, that must be communist. Meanwhile, they've let the Democrats run unions, which suppress workers, completely corrupt. But when you look at the arc of American history, it's been when working people came up. We need to go local. Every solution I'm coming up with as a part of this movement, we're giving the science, which is the truth, and then we tell people what they can do on the ground. Like with election fraud, you don't need to wait for some lawyer. Our goal is to train people to go local, to go local, to go local, fight locally. Forget lawyers, forget politicians, Get celebrities, you've got to learn politics. And there is a science to it. They lock us down, we should be ready to shut them down. And the fourth part of this principle is a not so obvious establishment. So when you look at a system, there's always something that disturbs you from getting to your goal. But the biggest disturbance is a not so obvious establishment, which are those people who claim they're for you on the left and the right, the Al Sharptons who tell black people I'm for you, the Tucker Carlson's. Do you think any true anti-establishment person will ever be on Fox or CNN? I don't think so. They both mislead working people back into the establishment. Without this solid understanding of political physics and theory, you're screwed. You're going to follow on the left wing, Bernie Sanders, oh, he said something, or Robert Kennedy, scumbags. Or you're going to follow some right-wing talk show host. They're not going to lead us to liberation. It's us. We're building a bottoms-up movement, and that political physics, it's a nuclear science of change bottoms up. We have to organize to understand that there is people who talk a good game and then look at what they actually do, left and right. I'm sorry, Sean Hannity may say some good things, but I don't see the urgency in his voice to get something done. And it can only come when you weaponize yourself with the right knowledge. You need to be able to identify a rat. You know, Christ didn't go after the Romans, right? It was the Pharisees and the Sadducees who screwed him up, his own quote unquote people. And that's where we're at. So these four concepts I've built into a curriculum. People can go to truthfreedomhelp.com, and it's an educational program. We need to train people in political theory. You need to have physics. And I've created that curriculum. People need to get educated. We need to get educated fast. And within a half an hour, an hour, I can teach people two years of MIT control systems. I teach people those concepts. Then I apply it. Anyone can understand it. And then you say, oh, I got to build a bottoms up movement. They have to get politically 
Institute, and then they have to go locally and act, not sit there on social media. They have to act locally, defy locally, do civil obedience locally, but with knowledge on how to build a movement. Now, the Senate campaign's expanded to the movement for truth, freedom, and health, and they can find it on truthfreedomhealth.com so people can sign in, they can get access to a bunch of videos. If they want to take a course and become a truth, freedom, health leader, I offer a full scholarship there, but we want people to make a commitment that they'll study that they'll get certified that they'll go do activities on the ground and so go to truthfreedomhealth.com okay questions yeah so go so ahead. that's a that's a systems approach um so pretty much the entire uh approach that we take and we we want to really train the citizen we'll come back to the most on the more education piece marcel is the systems approach uh to these problems versus a left or right approach if you were sick and had the choice to get treated anywhere in the world where would you choose to get treated okay well that's a good question well, first of all, uh, there's two aspects of the treatment, depending on what you're talking about. So one is um, when you look at the body, you know, one of the uh, things I focused on, you know, I created an entire uh, program called Systems Health, which came out of my PhD work and my Fulbright work that integrates Eastern and Western medicine. Now, there's two aspects of healthcare. One is the preventative piece and the quote unquote sickness that leads to. And the other is crisis care right? You, God forbid, you get involved in a major accident, right? And you need surgery. These are two different aspects of healthcare. Um, I would argue that the Western medicine approach, which was re really created from wartime medicine for a crisis, is extraordinarily valuable in the case of, you know, uh, when you have a crisis, right? Um, and in the United States and, um, you know, a couple of other countries, um they have extraordinary medical care and it, broadly the united states probably does quite well at that obviously the costs are an issue um but if talking about actual care i mean you have some of the finest hospitals in places like boston and you know california etc and a number of parts of the united states in terms of this crisis management care after you your body has either been destroyed from some long-term issue of not taking care of it or in an accident or some some type of crisis all right now when it comes to uh the prevented the kinds of disease or things that occur or care issues come from uh, a long history of not taking care of your body i don't think the united states or any of the u.s md system knows anything about preventative care because the doctor basically maybe gets two to three hours of nutrition education they're not trained in prevention the ancient and traditional systems of medicine um the the people actually look at the body as a system you know you can you have to give some value to the professionals in chiropractic right in naturopathy in ayurveda and siddha and traditional chinese medicine and these people can educate people on how to take care of the body as a system in fact um what i've done my entire life's journey was focused on this you know i grew up in india where my grandmother was a traditional village healer in most parts of the world in small villages doctors won't go into them because they can't make money um, but a woman typically knows traditional medicines indigenous medicines and she's the one whose responsibility it is to you know do the preventative care my 
grandmother was one of those people. And as a young child, I saw her anecdotally, anecdotally heal lots and lots of people using these ancient and traditional systems of indigenous medicine. Um, and those systems of medicine got me very, very interested. And that led my journey to getting a bunch of degrees at MIT, doing my PhD. And in this field, and in the field of biological engineering, what I uncovered was these ancient systems of medicine are actually based on looking at the body as a system. And I've created an educational program. I said, teacher at MIT that in about three to four hours, I can teach anyone to literally become their quote unquote, their own doctor. Hippocrates said, he who is not his own doctor is a fool. And I would argue that the, in the area of prevention, the best person someone should go to, go to is someone trained in the systems approach or yourself. Um, but when it comes to crisis care, you know, there's a number of great, great hospitals and medical professionals who know how to deal, deal with that. But ultimately, the individual in the 80% of the cases needs to learn how to eat the right foods, understand what their bodies as a system, um, and really open their eyes to the power of indigenous medicines. But more importantly, understanding that it's about the right medicine for the right person at the right time. The foods that you need, the vitamins and supplements that you need, the exercise that you need, Marcel, are very different than what I need. And this was a traditional philosophy of many of these systems approaches. So that is the solution that I have. Uh, people have a time they can go to a very interesting tool I created called Your Body, Your System. It teaches people systems principles. It teaches people the fact that their body has a particular system. It teaches people when their body's off course. And then it teaches people how to figure out the right food, supplements, exercises that's for them. So to me, again, this is very personal and practical. It's not, again, some theory. Um, but there you go. Did the U.S. change its healthcare system? Well, the U.S. needs to get rid of its healthcare system. It's really a, a system not for healthcare. It's a system for fueling um, big pharma, big insurance, and big hospitals. And again, if you take a systems approach, and there's a number of videos I've done on this, which, you know, in 15 minutes, people understand the U.S. healthcare system, which is very complicated. But the United States healthcare system, um, you know, needs to be eliminated, actually. Um, and I'll tell you why. Because in the old days, even back into the 1970s or before, when I was growing up, there was the individual and then you had a relationship with your local doctor, you know, and 80% of the stuff your family practitioner did. God forbid something happened, the 20% of stuff you had to go to a quote unquote, something called a hospital. But you had a one-on-one -on -one relationship with your healthcare practitioner, right? The family practitioner, he knew your family, he'd come to your home, he knew your whole life, he'd actually look at you when you went for a checkup. Um, in the 1970s, something extraordinary took place which was the collusion of big pharma, big hospitals, and big insurance companies. And that collusion was mediated by another group called Group Purchasing Organizations, GPOs, and PBMs, Pharmacy Broker Managers. Who are these guys? Well, these two organizations, and now there's three, three GPOs and three major PBMs, control the supply if you go to a hospital, every item in that hospital is controlled by three GPOs. They control the purchasing, everything that ends up. Three of the PBMs control the flow of medicines into every major retail dispensary, CVSs, Walmarts, et cetera, right, or Walgreens. And this consolidation took place starting from 1970 to 2000. And recently, in mid-2000s, the three GPOs and the three PBMs 
um, were purchased by the insurance companies. So no American today knows what the cost of healthcare is. Simple procedures, which should cost one one hundredth of what they cost, are cranked up because the insurance companies are incentivized to keep the cost of healthcare high. So you're always scared and you buy health insurance, you say, and pay high premiums. The healthcare system must need to essentially be destroyed, the current system, and you need to give power back to the patient-doctor relationship. One of the very, very important evolutions that's taking place right now, something called direct primary care, DPC, where a bunch of doctors are saying, look, I don't wanna take insurance. I'm only gonna take 500 patients a year. And to you as a patient, they'll say, look, just pay me 75 bucks out of pocket per month, that's it. And in the event that crisis occurs, you pay about a hundred bucks for crisis care. So you lower your insurance premiums from 800 bucks down about 125, maybe 200. But this doctor will only take a limited amount of patients and he directly serves you and he's essentially there for you all the time. But since he's not trying to do everything and crank up money, he's you get much better care. And it's a growing movement and patients are very happy. They're happy to pay out of pocket. If you think about it today, even when you get pay for insurance, you still have to do this copay. I'm still paying 50 bucks, 25 bucks every time I talk to my doctor. So people are wondering, why am I paying that and keeping this high uh, premium with high deductibles? So the we have to recognize that, that the entire healthcare system was made to support disease. It profits from disease. It profits from big hospitals, big pharma, and big insurance. And that needs to be all blown up and it doesn't serve the American people. It essentially creates a, a market, a non-competitive market for three or four major um, pharma companies, three or four major insurance companies and three or four major, you know, um, these big hospital sort of conglomerates. So it needs to be eliminated. What is your position on global warming, climate change? Yeah, one thing I just, before I answer that, one thing I left out on the healthcare, Marcel, is the following. Um, and I said it earlier, but I want to emphasize this. Healthcare ultimately comes from the individual taking responsibility for their lives and their physical health. The number one way for someone to take care of their physical health is to support something called the immune system. And um, I'm one of the leaders in the world on the immune system. Now, the immune system is very closely linked to aging. If you take care of the subsystems in your body that support your immune system, you're gonna support your um, aging. You know, um, Right now in the United States, the average American's lifespan is going downward because of the policies, the healthcare policies over the last 80 years. You know, Income inequality has created a lot of stress in people, the poisons in the food, the poisons in the air, and so on. It's not just the quote unquote vaccines, but over the last 80 years, the lifespan of the average individual is going down. So if you have a child, the child's lifespan is going to be shorter than you as an adult. It's quite extraordinary. The only way out of this is for the individual to take control of their health. One of the ways is to support your immune system. So people come to my town halls. We're not waiting to become president, but in that one hour town hall, we teach you what the immune system is. We teach you what are the foods, supplements, things you can do to boost your immune system. One of the most important ways to support your immune system in long life that came out of the work with the Sardinians in uh, off the coast of Italy is the number one reason people live long is they have community and friendships, community and friendships. People like Booby F. and Kennedy, 
Donald Trump and others supported lockdowns during the pandemic, which actually destroyed people's immune systems. When you lock down people, you isolate them from family and friends. By the way, the number one reason people live long, you destroy the immune system. And that's what these guys did. So Trump, Kennedy, and all these people, in fact, every other candidate running uh, was supporting lockdowns, was supporting masks, was supporting um, big pharma, and they destroyed people's immune systems. I was the only one at that time in March of 2020 who was on the streets protesting lockdowns, educating people of the power of boosting the immune system. We told people the importance of vitamin D, quercetin, zinc, iodine, these kinds of things. We actually saved hundreds of millions of people's lives. Some of my credentials when it comes to healthcare already show that I know how to save people's lives. And But supporting the immune system is the number one way. So we do that. People should come 11 a.m. and 8 p.m. Go to shivaforpresident.com slash town hall and sign up for those town halls, but you learn something. Now, let me go to your question on climate change. Um, again, in 2016, you see, I'm an engineering systems guy. I did the first video exposing the entire climate change scam and educated people on this at a very fundamental level. There is no field called climate science. This field was, it's, it's a created field. It doesn't even exist. When you actually go look at the foundations of this, what you uncover something quite extraordinary. Um, the earth and the sun interact in a very profound way. The sun is a radiating body, which puts out around 6,000 degrees Kelvin. Uh, that's how hot it is. The radiation from the sun hits the earth, right? Uh, about 340 watts per meter. That's the amount of energy. 140 watts bounce off the atmosphere. The remaining 200 watts come in. Um, and there's a conversion of a, how many watts, you know, lead to the surface temperature increase. The earth is quite an incredible system. Again, a system, all natural systems in the world, including your body and every system knows how to achieve homeostasis. So the climate change fake scientists do not teach people that the earth is an intelligent system. It knows how to absorb that other 200 watts per meter of energy and make sure that the earth's temperature the surface temperatures maintain at 15 degrees centigrade. It's maintained by that because the earth using clouds, using convection, um, dissipates at an other 200 watts per meter. So the earth maintains this 15 degrees centigrade temperature. Interesting enough, if you talk many of these climate change fake scientists and you say, hey, a couple of billion years ago, the sun was 30% less warmer. What, what would have been the earth? Well, they would say, oh, the earth would have been frozen right? 30% less warmer. Turns out the earth was, it had running waters, it maintained its temperature. Now, the entire climate change scam, which is what it is, um, is based on the IPCC's reports where they had these fake scientists do mathematical models of climate change. And their climate models, you would think if they really practice science, would all converge to a particular answer. By the way, the death definition in science of evidence is reproducible predictions. So if you read the IPCC report, which I've read, which is the, the organization which was created for climate change, um, there are 120 different mathematical models which predict how much the Earth's temperature is going to change. Now, if there's 120 different models, they should all converge to the same answer. That would be a reproducible prediction evidence of climate change. In fact, those 120 models each predict a different value for, let's say, how much ice will melt on the Arctic. 
One says 100% will melt, all the ice will be gone. Another says nothing. And like the Baskin Robbins ice cream flavors, there's a flavor for everyone. Some says there's 80%, 50%, 30%. So this is not evidence um, by any scientific definition. Now, so it's based on false evidence, which has led to fake policies. And these policies are ultimately created to enslave the average American worker or the world worker. And why do I say that? Well, um, the Paris Accords was created by this mafia, this organized crime <coughs> of the IPCC and all their friends like Al Gore, the advisors to all the major governments. And the, the goal of this was to say, we want to impose a carbon tax. All right. So right now, if a company produces a product, let's say it produces an iPhone, um, this phone, uh, obviously companies where you're producing an iPhone or whatever you're doing, you're you're putting out so much CO2, right? It's created. By the way, they conflate carbon and CO2, two, two different things. And so they have deemed this to be, quote unquote, a pollutant, which it isn't. And based on that, they say, we want to tax this. All right. And the Paris Accords basically said that we're not going to impose this carbon tax until 2030, which is about six years away. But China and India were allowed to double their pollution. China, for example, at the time was doing 11 billion metric tons of carbon. China's allowed to pollute to 22 billion metric tons. But after 2030, China will have to offset their CO2 by buying carbon credits. Carbon credits are traded equity on the stock market. Well, guess who owns all the carbon credits? People like Al Gore and a few other people like him. So they are looking for big payday when all of these countries will have to buy carbon credits, which means they're going to pass on that cost to the public a la carbon tax. So this entire thing is one big scam to create another elite set of trillionaires. And it has nothing to do with pollution. In fact, it endorses pollution. China and India can pollute even more. So there's no absolute benefit to this except for the few elites. So carbon, the climate always changes. It's been changing forever. Um, but the issue is how much will, you know, CO2, which is a green gas, increase the temperature. In science, we want to ask how much. All of these models, interestingly enough, if you study them, they excluded clouds. Clouds are not included in any of these models. Clouds are like the iris of your eye, which know how to modulate how much light comes in, in this case, how much radiation comes and goes. So the, it's all bogus. And the unfortunate thing is most of the so-called scientists in academia won't say anything against it because there's $2 billion that's given in government grants if you put climate change on any government grant. So it was people like myself and another guy called Dick Lindzen at MIT were the first people exposing the scam back in you know um, the early 2000s. Complete scam. In fact, I believe that those people have been promoting the scam, people like Al Gore and people like um, you know John Kerry, they should be prosecuted and indicted and thrown in jail for a long time long time because they made a lot of money screwing people. There are some in our country that believe the police should be defunded. What is your position on defunding the police? Well, the larger question is, why does a police force even exist? And do we need them? And is it in alignment with the Constitution and, you know, the spirit of how the founders set it up? Um, it was a clear acknowledgement, even 
um, by the founders of this country. When you created standing police forces and standing armies, that would that would be the end of democracy, in my view. Um, there should be police, but the police again, if you believe in smaller government, should be decentralized at the at the smallest town level or the city level. If our people are actually trained in weapons, if, you know, if you practice the Second Amendment, the local militias, the police force should be made by the people for the people. Um, we have to the the left wing uh, pushes racism, um, and they don't really want to talk about real racism. Racism does exist, and the right wing denies racism exists. Well, there is real racism, and to deny it is nonsense, and to um, take racism and um, politicize it, where it's reduced down to don't use certain words, be politically correct, and as though affirmative action is a way to uh, eliminate racism, is which what the left does. Neither the left or the right has really tackled this problem. The fundamental issue is there is real racism, and the people who perpetrate racism are actually the neoliberals on, on the left. People like Elizabeth Warren profit from racism. She says she's a Native American, which she isn't. She's profited from it. Um, it was during the civil rights movement, poor blacks and poor whites fought for to really alleviate the issues of economic inequality, which primarily affected not only black people, but poor whites in places like Appalachia. But they wanted uh, to fundamentally put infrastructure into the inner cities. That was really the goal of the civil rights movement. Now, people like Robert F. Kennedy, the father of Booby Kennedy, as I call him, hijacked the civil rights movement. They didn't, they purposely intentionally pushed down people like Malcolm X and they promoted people like Martin Luther King, who was controlled opposition by the Kennedys. And they promoted the solution to solving, you know, addressing civil rights was affirmative action, which was a band-aid solution. It actually pitted blacks against whites. We never addressed the fundamental issue of infrastructure in the inner cities. So there's, you know, the defunding the police issue is a surface level issue, but underneath it, it brings up two important issues. We need to support infrastructure in the inner cities which is really the ultimate way to end racism and and you know a lot of this economic equality which leads to crime but the other piece is it, it's my view that if you want to follow the constitution to the letter and, and the spirit of what this country is about the police force itself should be made up of by the people for the people so people are trained in weapons and they're trained improperly to use them people police themselves. We don't need a standing police force, which is obviously going to lead to authoritarianism as well as a standing army will. A role of the government is to provide peace and safety to its people. One of the ways the government does this is through the police. The police's job is to protect and serve. Do you agree with this definition statement? Yeah, so I believe that the police's job is to protect and serve. Um, however, I believe the Constitution was um, subverted when we created standing police forces and standing armies. There should be a police, but the police should be made by the people for the people. Abortion is a hot topic. Where do you stand on abortion? Yeah, I'm as pro-life as you get. But here's a problem I have with the quote unquote pro-life, quote unquote um, Christians, because for them, abortion is all about life in the womb. But when once life comes out of the womb, they're not pro-life. They're fine. Many of them support uh, the big uh, agricultural companies which pollute the world with glyphosate, which is Roundup and genetically engineered foods. They're absolutely fine. 
sending the young person, 17, 18 year olds to go fight imperialist wars to protect, you know, Zionism or to protect um, imperialism or to protect a few. They're absolutely fine uh, with policies which affect economic equality. They're absolutely fine, as I said, with lifespan. Your child's lifespan today is going to be shorter in America than your own. So the healthcare policies are destroying life. So I have a problem with the fake pro-life people because they're only containing life in the womb. After the baby comes out of the womb, they don't really seem to care if the child gets poisoned, sent to war to die for imperialist wars, um, if uh, the child doesn't get proper infrastructure. So I'm pro-life from womb all the way to grave, from womb to grave. And that's what real pro-life is. And those are the policies I'll support. Not just pro-life uh, to be a quote-unquote Christian, you know, but not really be Christian in the full sense from the womb all the way to the grave. The government does not have a right to tell anyone what they can or cannot do with their body. It infringes on people's rights and liberties. Why does the government have a right to tell a woman in this situation what they can do or cannot do with their body? Well, you know, the government, you know, um, the policies of government intervention into anyone's body, let's talk about it more broadly, a human body uh, was really came about because of the really, really ridiculous policy created by John F. Kennedy. Kennedy passed what was called the 1962 Vaccination Act. The 1962 Vaccination Act allowed government to enter your body and dictate to you what you could to every human being in the United States. And the 1962 Vaccination Act said the government could jab you, and if you didn't get jabbed, they could mandate it. And that was in 1962. Now, uh, measles, by 1962, it essentially disappeared. 99% of people did not have measles. Why? Because during the 1900s, all the way up to 19, you know, 60s, there were mass movements in this country of working people fighting for basic rights, elimination of child labor, clean water, clean air, infrastructure. That's what eliminated most of the infectious diseases. So by 1962, measles was gone. But John Kennedy, you know, who was not a nice human being, who was an imperialist who wanted to invade everyone, um, he's the one who created the 1962 Vaccination Act that created all this big government, which gave government the authorization to take away choice from every human. And this is where it really began. And when people were starting to get injured from these vaccines uh, and were filing lawsuits in federal court and state court, his other brother, Ted Kennedy, another murderous individual, killed a woman in Massachusetts and got away with it, got to be senator for killing this woman. Um, he's the one who was a co-sponsor of a bill um, called the National Vaccine Injury Program, which protected all the big pharma companies from the injuries they caused. So you couldn't sue them in federal court or state court. You had to go to a new institution, another court created under Health and Human Services. So Kennedy, John F. Kennedy is the one who created big government to allow government to violate your body's, uh, your right to choice, to jab you. And Ted Kennedy protected Big Pharma by indemnifying them. And then you have this other fool called Booby Effing Kennedy, who supported lockdowns, who actually says he's for full vaccination of all Americans. He's fine with Ameri Americans' rights being violated, but he wants, quote unquote, safe vaccines. He wants to take all these corrupt institutions that his, both of his uncles created 
but somehow he's going to get those safe institutions to allow you to violate your body's freedom, but create safe vaccines. And as a systems biologist, I can tell you, it's near impossible to create quote unquote safe vaccines. So this is where all of this intervention started about the government having rights into your body. It started with the 1962 Vaccination Act. That act must be repealed. And I will do that. You know, the two things I will repeal are the 1962 Vaccination Act and replace with the 19 or 2023, you know, Dr. Shiva's Booster Immunity Act, right? And then the um, the ninth, you know, the 2018 November 16th CISA Act, which destroyed our freedom. So these two acts, one destroyed freedom, one destroyed health. At conception, there is only a fertilized egg, a cell. Then it splits and so forth. That is not a conscious life. At what stage during pregnancy is there life? Well, look, as a biologist, there's over 100 papers, and you're looking at a systems biologist, which is me. There's over 100 papers which clearly shows life begins at conception. This is not an arguable fact. You're asking about consciousness, right? Well, this is quite a fascinating question. Um, consciousness um, is a question that people have talked about for thousands of years, right? Um, there are many religious traditions and spiritual traditions which argue consciousness pervades every aspect of the universe. It exists in information, matter, and energy. And I tend to believe that. Um, you know, we are finding different definitions of life. You know, people are finding a 20,000 year old, you know, bacterium which is frozen. And when it's exposed to normal temperature, it comes alive. So we have to recognize that from the human embryo standpoint, life begins at conception and this is an inarguable fact um, consciousness is a different question and i think it's a profound question um, but the jury on that is out when does consciousness begin i would argue consciousness exists in every aspect of information matter and energy at different states of consciousness when it comes to incarceration doing time for doing a crime. There is a debate about racism and unjust bias in the prosecution and sentencing of individuals, people. Do you believe this is the case? Definitely. I mean, look, um, the prison industrial complex is a money-making venture. After slavery, there's an inordinate amount of poor people and black people who end up in prison and private prisons, which were supported by like people like Hillary Clinton, make an extraordinary amount of hundreds of millions of dollars for the people who own them. Private prisons. Think about that. Private corporations run prisons. So there's an economic incentive for crime. There's an economic incentive to put people behind bars and use them as slave labor. The more fundamental issue is, do we really want to solve crime and how do you solve crime? And then an even more fundamental issue beyond that is, are criminals actually paying the cost of their crime? You could argue that some of the biggest criminals are on Wall Street, the biggest criminals are in the halls of Congress, the biggest criminals are in academia, and it seems like none of these people pay anything for their crimes. I'll give you an example. There's a professor at the University of Minnesota who wrote a fraudulent paper, clearly proven fraudulent. He used Photoshop to make up images which led the entire Alzheimer's research industry into a, uh, a, a um, research 
um, on Alzheimer's, which was based on fake hypothesis, fake data. And $3.7 billion of U.S. taxpayers' money went into his fake images and his fake science. Well, has anything happened to him? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing has happened to him. And this happens every day in academia. Billions and billions of dollars are going to grant money where people are writing fake papers, fake research. Um, in my view, those people should get extraordinary prison sentences, like 20 years. But that is not going to happen until we discuss this on why white collar criminals get away and we're so harsh. And when these people have access to all sorts of incredible infrastructure, they can't say they didn't have any, um, you know, they have an incredible amount of luxuries. They don't really have any excuses. You could look at what goes on with the Federal Reserve and the bankers in this country, the level of collusion that they do, how much money that they make, um, all of them should be thrown in prison. So you have a two-tier justice system, one tier for poor people and minorities, and another tier for uh, a multiracial aristocracy of elites. And that gap must be bridged if we're serious about crime. Because you could argue that the real criminals are on Wall Street and Hollywood and academia, were the ones whose policies have created income inequality. And we all know income inequality, ultimately, that leads to crime and combined with the fact that the family structures are broken down also because of income inequality. When the family structures break down, the a child growing up doesn't have a mentor, doesn't have access to someone who loves them, truly cares for them. You've broken down these human relationships. But you can trace all of this to the rich getting richer and income inequality. And the people causing this are the real criminals. And it seems like they get a get out of jail free card all the time. So if we really want to address crime, um, we really need to address this head on. And it has to be addressed in very, very harsh measures. Obviously, this does not mean when someone commits a violent crime that you, you know, treat them with kid gloves. We're dealing with a systemic issue that's taking place now. But Without addressing the root cause, we're going to keep solving these Band-Aid problems. How would you fix it? Well, let's talk about that. It, the answer to this is related to the first question you asked about balanced budget, and we discussed about the money supply. We live in a world right now, 0.0001% of people I call the swarm, a multiracial global aristocracy control the money supply. Um, and the money supply is in the United States is controlled by the Fed and the, the big banks. They can print money at will. And the reason they're able to print money at will is because the U.S. is a reserve currency. How does it be a reserve currency? Well, it's maintained because the United States is essentially an organized criminal thug of the world. And it serves, you can see right now in Palestine, it serves Zionism. Um, and by the way, let's define Zionism. Zionism is racism in the service of U.S. and British imperialism, primarily. What is a Zionist? Well, you don't have to be. It, Zionism has nothing to do with Judaism. Zionists collaborated with the Nazis to butcher Jews in World War II. Zionism, in fact, uh, most of the Zionists are quote-unquote Christian Zionists in the United States. So we have to recognize that <clears throat> the concept of Zionism has fueled the maintenance of a uh, of a structure in a place called Palestine, which was occupied, and the incredible amount of money, capital um, that goes to maintaining Zionism is many, many ways, a root of many, many problems that we can look at economically. And these economic problems have resulted in infinite amount of income inequality. 
infinite amount of income inequality. When you go look at the pandemic, which was a fake crisis that was created, which resulted in printing more money, $600 billion of that printed money went, I'm sorry, uh, $2.3 trillion of that money went into about 600 billionaires' pockets and it boosted up the stock market. So we have an insider's game going on. Um, and that if we want to go to the root cause, you know, when you take a systems approach, you want to find the root cause. The root cause is a finite set of people are moving capital around printing. They have a printing press. They can print infinite amount of capital. And that allows them to prosper. Trillionaires become multi-trillionaires and the poor get poorer. The way to cut the head off the snake is we must address this by recognizing the Fed must be eliminated. We must restore uh, you know, financial diligence to this country. Like you said, you know, you asked a question about not only balancing the budget, but having a policy that the money supply or the money is directly um, connected to labor. Uh, capital cannot, uh, you know, be more preeminent than labor. That's the ultimate problem. And that's what needs to be addressed if we really, really want to um, solve crime in this country. The real criminals are on Wall Street. The real criminals are in Hollywood. And the real criminals um, are in academia. Laws and justice. During the COVID pandemic, government officials were letting prisoners out of jail. At the same time, some of the U.S. population was told if they violated the COVID distancing practices, they could face fines and jail time of up to one year. What are your thoughts on this as it pertains to justice reform? Well, here's the deal, right? When you take a systems approach, you cannot take this isolated from understanding how the body is a system work. All of these policies were implemented not to improve people's health. The pandemic was a fake crisis that was created because the United States economy is running on fumes. The world economy was running on fumes. Um, if you look prior to 2020, the two years prior to that, you will see hundreds of millions of people demonstrating in at least 20 different countries across the world, fighting corruption, uh, fighting uh, you know fraud, and fighting massive increase of basic commodities. This is what was going on. The pandemic was created. It was a created crisis to cover up the fact that the elites have created economies that don't work anymore. So as a part of that crisis, they did the lockdowns. They had to scare people uh, with all these policies which was to isolate people so we would not address the real issues. And if you look at what occurred during the pandemic, 600 billionaires increased their wealth by $2.3 trillion. Mom and pop businesses went under. And prior to that 2020 period, it was an interesting period where small businesses are starting to thrive. The interest rates should have gone up to 6 or 8%. The elites do not want the interest rates high. They need low interest rates to continue their scam. So people like Jared Kushner can get low interest loans to use one building to go get a loan to buy another building and be slumlords all day at a, at a magnificent level. So the economy is directly related to this question. So the economy of the elites is running on fumes. They created a crisis called a pandemic so they could print money. And to justify that printing of money, they had to make sure that we locked down the small business person so their economies didn't naturally grow. That's what this was. This was the biggest transfer of wealth that took place. It was a transfer of wealth that took place. Um, and the lockdowns um, were supported by people like Trump, were supported by people like Kennedy. Kennedy was supporting lockdowns, saying, 
um, that lockdowns are good because they save the environment and they stop the spread of COVID. So all the elites left, right, and so-called anti-establishment all support the lockdowns because they made uh, uh, trillionaires or billionaires off their friends. That's what that's what this was about. This was not about health. This was about subjugation and enslaving, um, you know, uh, working people across the world. Education of our children has made its way into the national media. What are your thoughts on our education system? Well, the education system, um, there was a time when the education system, prior to the creation of the Department of Education, um, educated people. It taught them how to think. Now the educational system teaches people what to think. And so I want to address two parts of this. One is the you know, the sort of the public school K through 12 educational system and the college educational system. Um, both of these systems are at, at a core teaching people what to think, not how to think. So one of the first things I would do is make sure that our kids learn how to think. Now, how do you learn how to think? Well, starting the 1900s, 1920s, and um, culminating in the 1950s, there was a wonderful field of engineering science that came called systems thinking. Systems thinking is an ability where you're able to integrate the parts to understand the whole. All right. And engineers have to do systems thinking. A plumber has to do systems thinking. A mother has to do systems thinking. And uh, an electrician has to. Politicians don't have to do any systems thinking. Lawyers don't have to do any systems thinking. But anyone who actually creates value for our society has to be a systems thinker. And so, you know, at MIT, I created one of the most preeminent systems thinking courses. The elites know how to do systems thinking. They use systems thinking to manipulate the rest of us. I believe systems thinking needs to be at the K through 12 curriculum. Um, and the, and, but it teaches people how to think, not what to think. So that's one of the solutions. The other thing we need to recognize is that people aren't learning any skills. In the old days, you got educated so you could serve people. You got uh, vo vocational technical education. You became a plumber. You know, you had to take the classroom training. You had to get about 8,000 hours of hands-on training. And then you actually had a skill. You can make a good living. Same with a plumber. Same with an engineer. Um, somewhere along the way, after the creation of the Department of Education, people started going to this thing called universities, colleges, to get degrees. And um, in order to go there, their parents took out student loans. Well, if you actually look at it, these student loans are not student loans because you take money from a bank your parents mortgage their home, and the money actually goes to the university. The university gets the loan. The students don't get the student. It's not, it's not a student loan. And then the kid goes through this process of, I don't know, studying basket weaving or something on, you know, um, you know um, how alligators can be transsexual or some crazy type of degrees that they get. But these degrees, the majority of them do not prepare the kid to go out and actually get a job to be a valuable member of society. So after four years of paying hundreds of thousands of dollars, the parents in debt, the kid in debt, um, the student is leaving without any tangible skill set. They don't know how to think. They're not learning systems thinking, but they've actually in debt. Who made money on that? The universities made money. The student loan companies made money. The, the loan companies gave the loan to the university. The university is has no accountability to make sure that student actually got an education. So here's my solution on that side. Um, we should make sure that the universities co-sign the loans, co-sign, which means 
they're on the hook if the student doesn't get a job and can't pay back. The student loan companies can go after the universities. What do the universities do today? They take that money, the tuition money, they hire very, very uh, high paid Yale and Harvard and Stanford money managers, and they take that student loan money and they invest it on the stock market. They, they put that into their endowments and they, in fact, feed that money back to these money managers. They get 50 million, $25 million payoffs. So it's an entire scam. The student loan, the bankers give money to the universities and many of them rotate. The student essentially becomes a slave. He's got no education and the parents are on the hook. So this is a completely uh, dysfunctional educational system. Um, we need to encourage, incentivize in that process the university's property counseling a 17, 18 year old who doesn't really know what he wants to do. Hey, do you really want to study this path? Maybe it's a hobby if you want to study transgenderism, but it's really not going to get you a job. Maybe you should study engineering. Maybe you should study math. Maybe you should study physics. Maybe you should study, maybe you shouldn't go to college. Maybe you should exit and go get a Votech education. So that's the incentives that we need to do. Now you're looking at someone who used to teach at the university level. I have great regard for the public school system because I went to public school. Um, I, my parents couldn't afford and neither do they support any of the elite prep schools. My mom was completely against them because she thought they were elitist. Um, so I was at the tail end of the 1970s where you had extraordinary public school teachers who actually cared. And that's where I'm a product of that. You know, that I'm a product of that. The invention of email took place before the military, before MIT. I did it at a small medical college where I was solving a civilian problem. So I know the power of when you have good teachers care for their students. And I also know from watching over the last 30 years in as an educator, what happens when you uh, when education, particularly at the university level, becomes a money-making venture to make money off of money. What should be taught to our children? The number one thing that should be taught to our children is two things, ethics. We don't teach ethics anymore. Number two, history and three, systems thinking. Those are the three things long before even algebra, reading, writing, and arithmetic in my view. Ethics, you know, value system, the ability to look back at history and systems thinking. Um, once you understand how the world is a system, your body is a system, politics is a system, everything in the world is a system. And there are nine principles of systems, as I mentioned. And because the country, the educational system isn't doing it, Marcel, I've decided to do it on my own. So people can go to truthfreedomhealth.com. You can get scholarships there. He's a teacher at MIT. So you can get an MIT engineering systems thinking education through this institute that I've created. Um, everything we do in our political campaign is driven to teach people systems thinking. When people donate to me, I don't ask for money. If people, without giving me anything back, people donate to me, I give them back books. I want people to think systems. It is systems thinking that is really gonna change the world. What should not be taught to our children and or left to the discretion of the parents? Well, look, you know, when I was in, I think, eighth or ninth grade, they, they, there's a, there was a subject called sex education, but sex education was really hygiene. Um, I don't think, you know, uh, I want to send my kid to a school that's teaching them how to do all sorts of sexual acts with another human being. I don't think this should be taught. And I understand this stuff is being taught at the, 
you know, much, much younger. I don't think any of this stuff should be taught. I think it should be made illegal, actually. These are things that are left up to the parent to do. This has been an interview with Dr. Shiva Ayadurai running for President of the United States of America. What I'd like to do before we sign off, if it's all right with you, um, and you, you can probably cut it on your final recording, I'd like to play a video, Marcel, which really summarizes what our campaign is about. Go ahead. Um, and people can go, by the way, to Shiva numeral for president.com to find this. I also recommend, you know, ours is a bottoms up movement, Marcel. Again, you talk about decentralization, smaller government, we're practicing that. We want our people to get on the ground. Um, let me share this with you. And I want to play a video here. So people can go to the, the website is Shiva numeral for president.com. Um, the important thing to recognize is that if you go to the free download section, there's a very important flyer there that I recommend everyone get. It really teaches how the lesser of two evils is killing our children. Um, it has this wonderful graph which shows that the life expectancy in the United States is going downward. And this has been going on since 1980. And this is because of the policies of the left and the right and also the fake independence. There's a very nice educational video here, Marcel, which teaches people what is the swarm? Who are the elites? Who is our enemy? So the left side gives a problem and the right side gives a solution. I'm gonna play our campaign video. But one of the things is we encourage people to learn systems thinking. They can go to truthfreedomhealth.com, become what we call warrior scholars. And we also recommend people to come to our town hall. Then go to shivaforpresident.com slash town hall. They'll learn about healing their body. They'll learn about the environment. They'll learn about education innovation, governance, and economy. And we offer actual real solutions, not that they can practice right now. Obviously, if I become president, Marcel, just like I do this video, I'll do more videos like this, right? But we'll reach 8 billion people. So let me finish by playing this uh, wonderful, inspiring video, which will summarize what we've talked about um, and let people know that go to Shiva for President Volunteer, get on the ground, Go get our bumper stickers, but be an activist. So let me play this. Who would have ever thought I'd be running for president of the United States of America? I was born a low caste untouchable in India's caste system, a system of aristocracy, oppression, and racism. My name is Dr. Shiva Ayadure. I'm an MIT PhD, a Fulbright scholar, a scientist, engineer, entrepreneur, and inventor. My family and I left India to come to America on my seventh birthday. I grew up in the working class neighborhoods of New Jersey, playing baseball, mowing lawns, painting houses and coding software. My friends and neighbors are blacks, Italians, Irish, people of all races. As a 14 year old, I wrote 50,000 lines of software code to create the world's first email system and was awarded the first US copyright for email, recognizing me as its official inventor at a time when copyright was the only way to protect software inventions. I did that long before I ever came to MIT revealing that big innovations can occur anytime, any place by anybody. Growing up, I saw politicians dividing us by race and religion in both America and India to have us fighting each other while they remain safe in their gated communities and in their playgrounds of Hollywood, Martha's Vineyard and Silicon Valley. I'm a fighter. I fought racism and exposed their imperialist wars, fought for workers and put my life on the line against global corruption. I never wanted to run for political office. All that changed when I saw working Americans as never before being duped by the establishment and the not so obvious establishment across left and right. We were being sold out and made to forget why we came to America and why America existed. Lawyers, academics, billionaires, celebrities and politicians 
elites, Clintons, Kennedys, Bidens, Obamas, Bushes, black and white have hijacked America. They printed trillions for their friends. They delivered crumbling infrastructure, corruption, and racism. They transferred trillions to themselves, dividing black and white, fear-mongering, and fake science. Lockdowns and censorship, dirty air, food, and water, pushing drugs upon us, making us sicker. We've been sold out. One set of rules for them and another for us. We deserve a warrior with a history of courage in putting everything on the line for you, who believes in you, not them, who has created a movement bottoms up for truth, freedom, health. I've exposed their lies at the right time, never waiting until it was popular. I've exposed their false gods who exist to lead you back to them. I've exposed their fake science of lockdowns and masking and provided you solutions to fight them and win and protect your immune system, saving millions. I exposed Fauci, galvanized the fire Fauci campaign when others remained silent. When they stole our election, we sued the government and Twitter in our historic 2020 federal lawsuit, exposing in bare view the government and big tech censorship infrastructure, the unholy alliance between government and social media companies. Where was Elon and his grifters? They stood by the sidelines and did nothing. They did not use their megaphones to help us when it could have made a big difference. Now our movement grows for truth, freedom, health, independent of all of them. Every day, millions are learning the science of systems, the knowledge the elites do not want you to have. So you may learn how to think, stand up and fight independent of the establishment of left and right and their fake heroes. Now it's time for you to join the movement to win back America, to win back truth, win back freedom, win back your health. That's why I'm running for president of the United States. This race is about you. This race is about truth, freedom, health versus power, profit, control. We've had enough. They think we'll fall in line and vote again for their lawyers, celebrities, billionaires, and chosen ones from above. We choose our heroes from below, from the rank and file who do what is right at the right time, not when it's convenient and popular. They can never represent us. What America needs is a movement by the working people for the working people who are educated, organized, decentralized, and fight for independence from their systems of control. And that movement exists. It's ready for you. We don't need them. We need us to go bottoms up, neighbor to neighbor. My journey, your journey are all the same. It's our time. It's time we had one of us. It's time to win back truth, freedom, health, to win back America, be part of this historic movement all the way to our victory on November 5th, 2024. If you're an American citizen, pledge your vote now for Dr. Shiva Ayaduray, the independent candidate for U.S. president. No matter where you live, you can be a part of this. Volunteer as little as 20 minutes a day. Don't delay. This is Dr. Shiva Ayaduray, and I approve this message paid for by Dr. Shiva for president. All right, Marcel, that's it. I think we got it all. Okay. Do I have control? Let me give you back control. There you go. Recording stopped. Okay, I stopped recording. All right. Thanks, Sean. I think we're done.